0: Please stand with me in honor of the word of God and read Joel 2:12 through 13 with me. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be seated. I'm glad you're here this morning celebrating with us the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We've completed a series and we're kind of going into a series now just in preparation for Easter. It's good to prepare our hearts for things. It's good to celebrate seasons in the church calendar. What I mean by that is like, for instance, getting ready for Christmas and celebrating Advent. And when you soak in the scriptures leading up to that time, the birth of Christ reaches all kinds of new depths in your heart. And every year that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we prepare our hearts and we spend time refocusing um, our energy and time on things of God, then during that time when Easter gets here and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's able to penetrate different layers into our heart. And this is similar to what um, the prophets did. They reminded people of the covenant promises of God. They reminded them of the habits of the heart that they should have year-round. But there were these times of emphasis, and there were these times of calling to a repentance and a return to the Lord And in soaking in these times, they were able to really just turn and redirect everything that they should have been doing all year long. Maybe they had slipped away from it. And for Israel, a lot of times it was years and years and years and generations upon generations where they had gotten out of the habits that the Lord instilled in them to remember and refocus the things of God. So today we're looking at this passage from Joel and this prophet Joel, specifically about the habit of the heart of repentance. That a call to return and repentance isn't just something that we do one time or because this last month we had a really bad month and really acted horribly and now we need to repent and return to God. It's a habit of the heart. Repentance is something that we have tried to teach here through confession can be every day and every Sunday as a congregation we come here and we confess our sins and our need of God's forgiveness in our life as a body as a church and when we have this habit in our hearts it keeps us in the place where God can minister to us and forgive us and lead us into his paths. it's like closing a door that's hindering us from moving on with God so that we can move forward with God. So Joel, he's saying this scripture, yet even now, saying it's from the Lord, this word from the Lord declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, mourning, like turn to the Lord with all your heart. And then he says, rend your hearts, not your garments. See, Israel had gotten used to doing things in an outward way. They had gotten used to one of the things when they really realized their sin or grief or a great fall for a person or within the nation, they would rip their garment, they would tear it. And garments were very precious, very valuable. You didn't have just tons of clothing. A lot of times you had one and one spare, so to rip it was uh, a major um, act of, Mourning of grief of of the sin of in your life or in the sin of your people of a nation, but Joel is exhorting: Don't just rent an outward, don't just do an outward sign. Rend your hearts and not your garment. Like God wants to do something inside of you, and then He gives these reasons why: Return to the Lord your God, for He is. Here's the reasons we can return and repent while we're drawn to a life of repentance because of who God is. This is what we want to look at. Who God is. He's these four adjectives. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. That means he wants to forgive. So let's look a little bit at Joel and then move into these aspects. Joel all we know about him was he was the son of Pethuel. Uh, we don't really know much about him, but his name means Yahweh is God. So the prophet's name in themselves meant something to the nation. It was their message. Their name was their message. Yahweh is God. This would draw them to Exodus and, and when God's beginning to describe himself uh, to Moses. Uh, in the time with Moses, he says, when, when Moses says in Exodus 3, 13 through 15, if I come to Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent to me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people, I am has sent me to you. This profound, like no other God would describe who he is and his name this way and 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 hebrew scholars and rabbis are still digging and coming in with like what does this mean you know what is the meaning of this the all-existing one we sing about the perfect one today the the perfect one who was and is and who is going to be in the future and we were actually singing about that 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 i am he's the all-existing one uh, as far back in the past as you want to go, he He is. And if you want to be in the present, he is. And if you want to go as far as the future as you ever could go, he is. He's the all-existing one. This profound trying to grasp who God is. That's, that's Joel's name. He is Yahweh, is God. And that's what this scripture goes on. Say to this people, the Lord, the God, Adonai Yahweh is God. Like this, this Yahweh name of God is who he is. And that's what Joel was. He was a reminder of of who God is, and he said, this is my name forever, he told them in Exodus, and thus, I am to remem- be remembered throughout all generations, and that's what prophets were doing, they were reminding the people of who God is, because you know what, we forget really quickly. Um, we had a, a beautiful conference, and, and we were getting back, and we were in the prayer room and we're just praying and kind of sharing some things that we got out of the conference and uh Karen was slipping through her notes and was like wow do you remember this and you know because we had already it's good to have notes sometimes because you you, there's real profound things and you forget pretty quickly but it's good to talk about them and rehash them and process them and remind ourselves of them and this is what the prophets did so you think well Joel is saying repent and return to the Lord and because there's been this national calamity. There's been these locusts, which is really interesting in Joel. They march on the city, they run over the walls, and it's called, it's this army of that's called by God, and they mow everything down. Most scholars believe there was a, uh, a time of actual plague of locusts that did mow everything down. There's these locusts that came through, they ate, Everything green, then they mowed the stubble down, and then another wave came through and mowed down anything else. That was, it was devastating. And you begin to wonder, where are we going to get our food? Where's the next harvest going to come from? Uh, you, you know, you begin to see this tragedy. But then Joel begins to describe this uh, army as not just the locust, but an actual army. And we know that Israel, uh, in their sin and just hundreds and hundreds of years of neglecting the Lord, the Lord had brought a judgment upon them so the northern tribes of Israel were invaded by the Assyrians around 722 and they were all taken into captivity but Judah survived for another 150 plus years down there until God sent this locust in this army it was his calling due to to trying to get them to return to him they just weren't they were just going astray and and God brings this judgment this day of the Lord, a prerequisite, prequel to the final day of the Lord, but a day of judgment. This is what Joel's talking about. Joel mentions five times the day of the Lord and, and all the other prophets combined, there's about 13 mentions of this day of the Lord, this time when God would bring judgment. And it sounds really devastating, but this judgment is brought so that they will turn again to the Lord, that they will remember the Lord, that they will come back to the Lord whose steadfast love is doing this. That's why God is doing this, out of his steadfast love. He says, I'm going to bless you no matter what, but I can't bless this sin, so I've got to turn it around so I can bless you. And he sends in the Babylonians and they completely devastate all of Jerusalem and the southern kingdom and march them out in waves. And this is when Daniel and his three friends the noble elite are taking in into babylon too into captivity and they're drawn away and the people of israel cry in the psalm by the rivers of babylon they weep and god promises through joel a time of restoration and he's beginning it here in this verse he's beginning to say to them return to the lord Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he will relent over this disaster. He will restore, he will renew these things. And this is the season we're in, to ponder, to Meditate on the habits of the heart. What priorities, what rhythms are we out of with God? What practices and disciplines did we have that we've slipped and faded away from and that we can return to? And that's what Joel and the prophets did. They took people and they actually reminded them of the promises of God. One thing that helped me was uh, a minister. He said, prophets were covenant enforcers they were covenant enforcers they were coming in and Joel's coming in and saying this is the covenant that you live under this is his name is, is Yahweh is God right Joel you know so he's reminding him of who God is but he's reminding him of God who he is his promises what his promises are and like he's gonna do this he's he's gotta bless you because we're we're children of God we're children in, born in Abraham we're born in this this life of faith and he's gotta bless us so All of this suffering has to be due to his steadfast love so he can bless us. So he can get to that blessing of blessing us and blessing all nations through us. They're they're covenant enforcers. They're reminding uh, the people of God to turn back, not just to a brief time of repentance, not just a one-time prayer, but to a habit of the heart of repentance, of turning to God. I've been listening to some N.T. Wright during the uh, Lenten season, his uh, weekly devotional, and he says this, Joel and the prophets turn us back to the promises in the covenants. Turn us back to a heart depth of repentance. To turn us away from what's getting in the way of God moving in our life. That's what he's doing right now. He's working in us. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Rend your heart, not your garments. So Joel is working in this nation, and he's saying, not only is there a final day of judgment, which Joel is saying is coming, there is a final day when God will judge all things and bring his justice upon all of the earth and every human will stand and give in his account before God. This day of the Lord is this final day of judgment. But he's like saying, right now, we're going through the day of the Lord. We're going through a day of the Lord. And right now, our way out is to live a life of repentance before a God who is gracious and merciful and his steadfast love knows no end. So for a people whom God is bringing judgment on, He is also doing it for the purpose to bring deliverance and blessing upon. It's a day when his presence will return and come and bring healing in our land. Joel and the prophets did this. They returned to this habit of the heart to humble yourself before the Lord, to keep this time where you're rending your heart before God, before God all the time, to turn away from what is getting in the way of God moving in our life you ever felt like that sometimes there's something getting in the way I know God wants to do this but it's just not happening and this is a time of repentance getting out of what is in the way of God moving in our lives and it's something in our heart it's rending our heart it's not an outward act that we show others it's an inward act of the heart that god sees it's something between uh, you and god something between us and god something that is hindering let's open up and return to those steadfast practices in our life where we keep that humility and repentance and everyday thing because that's where it should be every day getting out of our bed and before we put our slippers on or whatever we do when we first get out of our bed in our heart hearts whether you do this physically or not getting on our knees and humbly acknowledging god i need you in this day i need you and when we live a life a habit of that life of dependence upon god of humility before god then when god wants to do something and his timing is there we're open and ready and there's nothing in the way and he can move and we can hear his voice and he can stop us and say right over here i want you to go speak to this person we're like oh wow We can hear him, be in tune to him. This is a time of of retuning, retuning hearing, like, yeah, I used to be like that, and now I'm not. This is a time of refocus, of retuning our spirits to God, and repentance is the way God does that. So these prophets point us back to expressing this covenant-keeping character of God. So, do we just turn back? Does Joel just say, "Return to this Lord"? How does he describe him? Like, what draws us to repentance? That that kindness of God that leads us to repentance, and that's what Joel is saying here. That he's saying God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. If we saw God that way, wouldn't we be drawn to Him to bring? the things that are hindering us like this is what Joel is saying he goes see there's this covenant keeping God that has always described himself as the great I am Yahweh he's always described himself as this God who is compassionate and Joel's pointing them back to the time of Moses not just there at the burning bush and I am that I am but also when they were going to enter into the land and Moses is struggling in Exodus 34 so Joel's pointing the people back to that. He's quoting a scripture. It would be like you quoting, you know, right now, Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians, Or you know, and you're quoting that. This is what Joel's doing. This is what the prophet's doing. He's quoting Exodus 34 when he's saying the Lord is gracious. Is merciful. He's merciful. His love, he's pointing them back to the covenant promises of God. And he's pointing back to Exodus 34, 6, where God describes to Moses, because Moses said, we can't go in, I'm not going in unless I know you're with me, and your presence is with me. And he said, well, you can't see my face, no man can see my face and live, so I'll put you in this cleft of the rock, I'll cover you, I'll pass by over you. We sing of this song of being in the cleft of the rock and God's glory passing by Moses, and he comes to him and he proclaims his name. God proclaims, again, a further kind of like development and re- revelation of I am that I am. And, and, and Yahweh and Adonai, that's who he is. And he, he says as he passes by and he proclaims who he is. This is God's explanation. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who I am. Moses, and he goes, we can go in. Let's go do you. Anything that you call us to do, we can do it. You got us. You got our forward, you got our back, you got our sides. You are the God who is gracious and merciful. Even if we keep messing up, you're going to just keep moving us forward. You're a God who's gracious and compassionate. Full of mercy and faithfulness. And our unfaithfulness, you're going to be faithful. No matter what, we're going to make it. Because Moses had already stumbled. He knew, like, we're not going to make it based on me. We're not going to make it based on these people that turn to a calf when I go up on the mountain. We're not going to make it. And God's saying, you're going to make it because of who I am. Not because who you are. And This is the gospel. This is what Joel is telling the people. You will make it because of who God is. His love. Who he is, not who you are. So come and admit who you are. Come and bring your sin. God already knows who you are. I'm messed up. I'm weak. I'm broken. I can't do anything. That's what Jesus said John 15. You can do nothing without me. Nothing. (laughs) That's what God's saying. That's what Joel's saying. Come to him. Repent. Return. Re-acknowledge this. Because we just... We wake up one morning and say, well, I can start doing it. I can do it. I can do it pretty good. I can do it all on my own. We just drift away from that humble repentance, need, dependency upon God. Joel turns them. Jonah had this same scripture um, he, in Jonah 4, when the thing is all resolved with the story of Jonah. If you don't know it, it's short. It's a little bit longer than Joel, but not much. Uh, four chapters there and in the fourth chapter Jonah says oh Lord is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country so he had already said this to God I don't want to go to Nineveh because this is who you are God and this is what you'll do to these Ninevites who I don't like and who are our enemy I want rather you destroy them so I'm not going to go preach what repentance that's where he went he just went in and said God's going to destroy you. He didn't even really say repent. And they said, maybe if we repent, God will forgive us. I mean, Jonah just said, he's going to destroy you. Your day of the Lord is now. <laughs> That's all he said. And the king and all the country goes, oh, my gosh. This is God. Maybe we can repent. And so Jonah's upset about that. Jonah didn't like his enemies. He was waiting for the day they would be destroyed. And then so he's praying here, and he mentions the same scripture back to Exodus. So these prophets did that. He says, oh Lord, it's not what I said when I was in my country. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. This is why I ran away. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting on disaster. I knew if I went there and said, he's going to destroy you. And I knew if they turned in the slightest way, you would, your love would even forgive these people for hundreds of years that have lived in this evil way. I knew it. Can you you feel that kind of anger and mad, like about who God is? He's that merciful and loving? (sighs) This is a reminder. He's saying about, Joel is saying about who God is. His steadfast love and mercy is new every morning. Remember the lamentations of Jeremiah, the prophet? And we're in the middle of this lament of chewing gravel and kind of the, if you want to lament during uh, uh, Lent, uh, read Lamentations, because it's a lament. It's a mourning. It's a rending of a heart of a person whose heart is just devastated before God. And in the center of this, it's actually a beautiful form of poetry. And Presley might like it. It's got some real Hebrew acrostics you know, of starting with the first Hebrew letter and going 22 verses and then 22 verses and then 22, 22, in the middle of the 66 verses, which is a combination of three 22s. In the middle core of that, there's this one verse. I memorized it when I I was a kid because it's the only good verse in Lamentations uh, that has any hope in it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, great. Is thy faithfulness. No matter what, God, Exodus thirty-four that you proclaim back in that day of who you are is who you are. And that will never change. You're gonna restore. You're gonna renew. Eventually, we just we need to just fall down and admit that how much we need you. Well, during our conference, I'll share a story of um, of one of the preachers there of the gospel, Alan Wright. And our title of our conference was, What is Missing? And so in each uh, sermon, each story, each proclamation of the gospel, it was, What is Missing? And so in Peter, Alan Wright looked at what was missing in Peter. And he looked at the story of Peter. And we know Peter, who he was. Uh, Matthew 23 says, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away even if i must die with you i will not deny you and then jesus says before this day is over you're going to deny me three times peter you don't know yourself but but wasn't he committed wasn't he on a high wasn't he on a roll of how confident he was in himself i mean man i've said things like that yeah other people might fall away i'm never gonna fall away i'm sure, man he's i'm just strong in god and he's moving in my life and like peter's like I, i'm gonna die with you and then Uh, Luke kind of brings out, I'll go both to prison and to death with you, Jesus. Whatever it takes, I'll go to prison. They can throw us in prison. I'll go with you, Jesus. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to deny you this this confidence in his, his love for Jesus. Just think, he loved him so much. He loved him more than all the rest. That's what Peter said. They'll all fall. I don't care if they all. I don't care if they don't love you. I will always love you. And then Luke brings out some more details where Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Luke 21, 31 through 34. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, this is what Joel is saying. When you return, when you turn again back to God, This is who you'll find waiting for you. A God who's gracious, who's merciful, whose compassion knows no end, who's faithful. Turn back to him. Jesus is saying, you're going to deny me, but you're going to return. When you return, not if you return, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And of course, Peter Peter goes, I'm never going to do that. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go to prison and death with you. Uh, just not you know (laughs) Jesus said I tell you Peter before the roaster crows this day can you imagine being that strong you know at the beginning of a day and then Jesus like before this day's over before the next day begins before the cock crows you'll deny me three times even that you know me I don't even know him I don't even know what you're talking about around a fire and then Jesus comes after the resurrection, builds a fire, brings Peter back around a fire, and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you agape? Do you have a divine love for me more than these? And all Peter can do is drop his head and say, you know, I phileo love you like a brother. Then he asks him again. There's no doubt about three denials and three confessions here. With all the the guys around, maybe not all, but a good group of them. Peter, do you love me? Do you agape? Do you divinely love me with the love that God has? Peter can just say, I phileo love you. I brotherly love you, Jesus. And then the third time when he asked him, it says Peter was grieved in his heart. It rended his heart not his garment, it rended his heart and it took him back to where when Jesus saw him, Luke brings this out Jesus and Peter went out and wept bitterly just looked at Jesus and he knew what he had done when the cock crowed he goes oh my gosh I just did what Jesus said I would do and he went out and wept bitterly that was the beginning of his repentance but now Jesus was just bringing him around what repentance is He's bringing him around, and he says, you know all things, Jesus. You know, because the last time Jesus says, well, do you phileo love me? And Peter goes, yes, Lord, you know all things. I phileo love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Now you're ready. What was missing in Peter? What do you think about that? What was missing in him? And what Alan Wright brought out was that what was missing was how much he was beloved by jesus not how much he loved jesus you know that confidence was in how much he loved jesus but can we ever be like god loves us and jesus is saying no what's missing is you don't understand how little you love me and how big my love is for you and peter's admitting it now you love me way more peter said i'll lay down my life for you but who laid down his life jesus jesus laid down his life for peter and peter gets it and he moves and that's what joel wants he wants us to see the steadfast relentless never giving up on us kind of love that love that god has in us and as we repent and as we go we have a reason to repent and that repentance is because of what god has done for us in jesus and i know it's a hard thing i know it's like well What do we do if we repent just right does God move and does God do this if we humble ourselves enough does God move as we're drawn toward this steadfast love and I know sometimes it's not all just pragmatic you know you put in your money and you get the coca-cola out of the machine you know God doesn't really work that way there's some mystical kind of ideas that we can never put God in a box and What's happening around our nation right now is uh, unique. There's some outpourings of God. There was an outpouring at Asbury. It was at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. And a lot of revivals start out with young people. So these are like 18 to you know 22, 24 you know year olds um, at college. And uh, there's been some interviews with them. But what happened at this outpouring? was they were at a chapel service on a February 8th, a regularly scheduled chapel service at their university, February 8th of 2023. And at the end of it, they just, a few of them just didn't want to go. They just stayed there and lingered. And then a person began to confess their sins and just like, I'm struggling with this. You all know, pray for me. And then they began to sing songs to Jesus. And then this went on, ended up going on for weeks. The, the, the people wouldn't leave. Teachers left classes and started bringing water and blankets to the place because people wouldn't leave. And then people from all over the nation, estimated from around 200 college campuses and universities, academic places, young people, um, began to come there and flood there. And they estimate somewhere between 50 and 70,000 young people came just from all over the nation. And then people joined them from around the world uh, because they were able to film some of this, but one of the things that moved me about this was uh, Russell Moore was doing a podcast for Christianity Today, and he was interviewing a freshman that was there. Her name was Lindsay Melhorn, and she was like, well, what happened? And she said, well, a few of us, like, kind of weeks before this, were just desperate, man. We were just like, nothing was going right in our lives. We were um, seeing people our age, 18. She was, you know, younger, and and just uh fallen apart things happening in their life that was just devastating them and she was like our whole generation is just like devastated and lost and we are so like and so they began talking they said well let's just get here to the chapel not during the 10 or 10:30 service but let's get here early in the morning before classes and just meet and just pray and just so spontaneously they were just getting there like 7:30 in the morning getting up and going there and just praying and just saying god please help us move in our generation move in our we're desperate and a lot of these things happen like this i don't, i know there's no perfect pattern for things but there's these generalities that joel's calling us to about uh, rending our hearts and repenting and i see some things like that that happened here and so on the wednesday service she wasn't there that day, but they had been meeting at 7, 7.30 and praying, just lingering and praying and then going off to classes. And this student called her and said, come back. This service isn't over. And and, and people are just staying here and singing and praying. And she, when she walked in, and this is kind of what they were praying, she said, I was brought to tears as I looked around and saw the genuine humility in the room with everyone, with everyone. That's how she described it. She didn't know how to describe it because it's hard to describe just the holy spirit working in people but she she mentioned it again she said uh i just sense this overwhelming peace and just genuine humility in myself just come over me it's like god can move on us to bring us to repent and to to turn from what he needs us to turn from in our lives and he said people were just bowing they were falling on the floor they were weeping before god they were moaning groaning just in the lord and uh She's one of the either helps with worship, worship leader type girl, and she says, Repentance and humility is precious and a fragile atmosphere to keep. Wow. I think that's what Joel is saying. He's saying, Repent. Return to the Lord with all your heart. Rend your hearts, not your garments, and come to this God who is full of mercy. He will forgive you. He's about forgiveness. And I think as we experience the forgiveness of God, I would say the application to take out of this time and this season with the Lord is may we go out and be more like God and be more merciful and forgiving. And when I think about what God taught us through his son Jesus Christ in the Lord's prayer, he says to forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And I think of God's mercy, his outpouring on us. I think of Jesus saying for us to pray this, pray this all the time, pray this, mean it in your heart. Don't just rend your outward garment. Take the Lord's prayer, let it rend your heart. Forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And Tim Keller in his book, Forgiven, he talks about, kind of just in the opening, he talks about this verse and he says, out of all the verses there of what Jesus just taught on the Lord's prayer this is the only portion of the prayer that he has a commentary on afterwards you know all of the other things like kingdom come my will be done give us our daily bread he didn't say but after that in Matthew 6:14 he goes back to the forgiveness this point of how important forgiveness is and he says for it in Matthew 6:14 through 15 Jesus goes on to say for if you forgive others their trespasses Your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive you your trespasses so jesus is emphasizing teaching that portion of the lord's prayer and saying how important it is so as we rend our hearts and as we come before the lord during the season and preparation for the great day of the cross the holy week and the day of his resurrection we begin to rend our hearts And we begin to experience the steadfast love of God and the God whose mercies are new every morning in our life and his great forgiveness. And let that transform each and every one of us to go out and show and display that same kind of mercy upon our friends, neighbors, family, coworkers, and even our Ninevites, you know, even our enemies. May we pour out the mercy. Say, God's steadfast love and mercy never ends. If you repent, turn, and believe in the gospel, you will be saved. And let us go out and preach this. Amen? Amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper that he taught us to do. Together, when we come together, as a church family, basically Jesus' desire is that we would always remember him. Remember his great love toward us. Remember how he offered up his body and his blood for us and how he died for us. He said, remember my death until I come. And we're still doing it. And We will until he returns exactly what the word says in the night that Jesus was betrayed he took bread and he gave thanks to the father for it (coughs) thank you father in the midst of Judas's betrayal I know that nothing will hinder your plan you're a God of steadfast love and you desire to forgive your people One's chosen by you to be in your fold, in the sheepfold. And I'm doing your will, I'm submitted to your will. And I offer up my body for this people, Jesus says. Jesus says, This is my body given for you. Take and eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together of the bread. manner Jesus took the cup he said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood because I'm a God that works through covenants and through promises now the promise is fulfilled in my blood shed for you for the remission of sins I will remember your iniquities no more though they are as scarlet I will make them white as snow do this take of this cup remember the covenant in my blood until i return remember my death until i come let us partake of the cup together thank you gracious father for the gift of your son jesus christ for his shed blood for his broken body help us to worship you are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He's going with you to bring light into a dark world. Go and be that light in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love one another.